So we all go through those times in life where we feel like we are imprisoned by something. We're confined and restricted by something. I think back uh, to the summer between ninth and 10th grade, and that was a summer of being in prison for me. And here's why. When I was in ninth grade, like many of you, I took earth science. Now, there's a difference. Back in the day when you took earth science or you took many of these subjects in high school, you had to not only pass for the year, but do you remember this? You had to pass a regents too, right? You guys remember this? I don't think this is true anymore. And so back in the day, you had to pass the regents. So I passed earth science, but when I got to the regents, I got a 64. Now, 65 was passing. And so I said to my teacher, couldn't you be at least giving me credit for spelling my name right? And she said, I would have if you had. So, um, man, I, I just, I knew now what this meant. I knew now that my summer was going to be a summer of studying, right? And I was going to have to take the Earth Science Regents again at the end of the summer, even though I passed the course. And so if you grew up in the 90s, when I show you this next image, you're going to start to shudder, right? You guys remember the review book, the Barron's Regents review book? This was the worst. And I remember just feeling that whole summer like I was in prison because every day, even though it was only for a half hour every day, my mom would take the eggshell timer and she'd put it at 30 minutes and I'd have to study the Barron's Regents review earth science. And it was terrible. The worst part about it was that they scheduled my test during our family vacation. So we're down in Maryland. So I'm this whole vacation I'm studying. My mom's got the stupid eggshell timer on vacation. I'm still studying on vacation. And then we have to leave. My friends are down there water skiing, skateboarding. And I have to leave and drive five hours back. And I have to take this test. And I just remember feeling like that whole summer was ruined because I was basically in the prison of earth science. Now, all of us in life have different things that restrict and confine us. And here in this series, we're talking about those things and kind of how we navigate them, right? So some of you guys today, you're like, I'm in a prison of financial struggle. Some of you are saying, I'm in a prison of guilt. I'm in a prison of fear. I'm, some, I'm going through some kind of trial that just feels like it's choking me out here. And we just feel completely confined and restricted by our circumstances. So in this series, we are looking at the lives of people throughout the Bible who were in real prisons, And we're looking at their lives and we're learning so much because here are these guys literally behind bars, normally many of them because they had a relationship with Jesus and they were told you have to stop this and they just wouldn't shut up about Jesus. They just kept preaching and teaching because they were that convinced he was alive. So many of them are behind bars because of their faith. And then you have like the story we're going to look at today, someone who was completely innocent but ended up in prison anyway and looking at their lives and saying, man, what could I learn? How could I apply what they learn in their situation to my current struggle here, sort of in this prison that I'm in here today. So today I want to talk with you about what our relationship with God looks like when we're in the prison. You see, here's what I know. I know that often when we find ourselves restricted or confined by a circumstance and we're really frustrated, we can kind of shake our fists at God and get a little bit frustrated with him. And sometimes we're tempted to actually turn our back on God during that season, you know? It's like, God, I was following you, I was trying to do things your way, and look where I ended up, and here I am now. And sometimes we're tempted to sort of turn our backs away from God. I know I've been tempted at times in my life when I've ended up in somewhat of a prison where I just feel like, God, seriously, following you got me here? So what's the deal with that? And can you be trusted going forward? And so today I just want to talk about how we keep an up-to-date relationship with God in the middle of our prison. Because often this is where our relationships with God fall apart. I have several friends. They got into some kind of a situation. It was a tough situation and they walked away from God during that time. They turned their back on God during that time. How do you keep that close relationship, that vibrant relationship, even when you're in 
some kind of a prison cell. Why keep that relationship with God, right? If, if we're going through a difficult situation and we're in the prison and we're going, God, here I am. Are you listening? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you seeing what I'm going through, these difficult situations? God, why should I stay close to you if this is where following you leads me? Sometimes those are the thoughts that run through our head. So today, I want to talk with you about how we stay close to God in the prison cell and why we should stay close to God in those difficult situations in our lives. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad you're here. We're so glad that you're in, your, in the room. You're, you're welcome here. And we hope today you find encouragement because I would guess you would say you have some confining situations in your life too. And later I want to talk about the biggest prison God ever broke us out of. But this is so important to talk about because what if there are a few things if we just kind of kept in mind as we're in the prison that would actually help us continue to stay in an up-to-date, close relationship with Jesus. So today we're going to look at someone in the Bible who, honestly, his life could have been an entire series on this. There is so much to learn from this one guy. We're not going to do the whole series on him, but we're going to do today and next week on this one person in Scripture that we find in a prison cell. And man, this guy just had such perspective and ability to walk through that situation and stay close to God. And so here I want to kind of highlight something that I remember 20 years ago. I was at Nyack College going to school, and we had chapel every day. And all different speakers would come in, and there was this one chaplain. His name was David Pleadings, and I love this guy. He was kind of in charge of what would happen at chapel. And so one day he preached, and something he said 20 years ago was something I've never heard any other preacher bring out about the story we're going to talk about today. And so about two-thirds of the way through the sermon, I want to bring that out, and I think it'll encourage you as we look at the life of this incredible story here today. So let's start out in Genesis 37, verse 2. It says this. You guys can read along on the screens. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. So Kind of a little introductory verse. We learned some things about Joseph. First of all, he's a teenager. He's only 17 years old, okay? And he works with his brothers, and these are his, his half-brothers or his stepbrothers. These are brothers that he has because his father, Jacob, has many wives. And so here he is tending sheep with his half-brothers. And his father, his name is Jacob, but sometimes throughout Scripture he's called Israel. And that's a whole thing where God gave him a new name and the nation of Israel was, was birthed out of him, a pretty cool story. But some of you guys, as soon as we start reading this, are looking at the screen saying, wait a minute, this is why I don't like the Bible. Because it kind of makes it seem like this guy having several wives is okay. And, and I look at that and I, it seems like God is kind of endorsing someone to do something that maybe they shouldn't be doing, right? And sometimes we can trip over this stuff. So let's just pause here for a second. And I want to remind you of a couple of words I bring up every once in a while here in church. Descriptive and prescriptive, right? Sometimes the Bible describes something that's going on that the Bible is not prescribing we should do, okay? And sometimes we struggle with this. Like, have you ever heard somebody say, oh, you can't take the Bible seriously because it talks about slavery and, you know, condone slavery? No, it actually doesn't. We're going to actually see in the verses today a little bit about slavery. It doesn't condone slavery. There's a difference between describing an event that took place and prescribing it as something you should do. I'll give you a quick example. My, my uh, brother-in-law and his family were in town a few weeks ago, and his little two-year-old Cal, I got a picture of Cal, the cutest kid. Look at this kid, right? And so Cal is running around my in-law's backyard chasing ants. He's grabbing ants, and he's trying to pick them up, and his mom says, Cal, put the ants down, put the ants down. You're gonna, he's trying to, like, squeeze them. He likes squeezing the ants, right? Put the ants down, right? So he puts the ants down. A few minutes later, he comes back. He goes, Mama, I ate the ant. 
She goes, what? Well, where's the ant? He goes, and then my wife goes, was it good? He goes, yeah. So the cow was all about the ants, right? Now here's what I know about you, okay? I know that when you leave here today, you're not going to say, I'm never going back to that church again, man. That preacher is sick. Did you hear him tell us we should all go out and chase ants and eat them? Right? No, none of you would do that because you know I'm describing that, not prescribing that. I'm telling you this is what someone did, not this is what you should do. And so as we look at the Bible and we see things like somebody having several wives and we see somebody putting somebody else in slavery, the Bible's not prescribing, it's describing something that happened. And today, as we're going to see, when you do things God says don't do, it often leads to terrible things because that's exactly what happens in our story. Jacob having these several wives caused so many issues. And so now verse 3 says this, Now Israel loved, remember Israel is Jacob, uh, Joseph's dad, So Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. All right, let's pause on our message topic today. And let me let you know, when Kelly's feeling better, we're going to do a series together on marriage and dating and sex and all that good stuff. But one of the things we want to talk about is parenting. And parents in the room, if I could just encourage you for a second, be really careful about how you treat your kids. Be really careful that you never love one over another or show love more to one than the other because it will really mess them up. And I'm not just talking about messing up the kids that you love less. It will really mess up the kids you love more too because it turns the ones you love less against the ones you love more. My kids always want to know who my favorite is. They ask me all the time. On July 4th, I'm running through the house. I'm putting a bag together. We're going over my in-laws. I'm trying to get a billion things together. And my oldest son, Cade, goes, hey, Dad, I know you love me most, right? And I didn't kind of hear him. I kind of half heard him, and I was distracted, so I didn't ask him. And he just looks back. He goes, I'm taking that as a yes. (laughs) So they are all about figuring out who we love most, okay? But parents in the room, just a little time out on the real message for today. Love your kids equally. Treat them equally. Raise them that way, and that will be a blessing to them. Okay, time back in on the message. Here we go. So, Verse 5 says this, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. Now he describes the dream. What's the dream? The short summarized version is this, that one day they will bow down to him. One day Joseph is going to have some kind of authority over his brothers. Now you might be saying, well, what's with God speaking to Joseph through a dream? I mean, I have dreams all the time. I don't think that's God speaking. Well, throughout Joseph's life, this would be a pattern. God would speak to Joseph through a dream. And I think God does actually do that to some people. He doesn't do that to me. I have weird dreams. I have really weird dreams. In fact, I'm not just a weird dreamer. I've been told that I'm a a strange sleep talker and sleep walker. One night, Kelly wakes up and looks over, and I'm out of bed, middle of the night. And I have pulled our comforter off the bed, and I am draping one side of it on the bed, the other side over to our exercise bike in the room. And she goes, Doug, what are you doing? And I was like, Making a tent. <laughs> now, apparently I've been told that I'm sort of an ornate, cranky, sleepwalker talker, okay? So I don't have God-given dreams. I have weird dreams. But Joseph, this was one of the ways God revealed things to him. This is one of the ways God spoke to Joseph, okay? So a little summary here before we jump to the next part. Joseph's brothers are off tending the sheep a little while later. And look at what it says in, in uh, verse 17. It's, his dad sends him, and then verse 17. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. 
But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Now, Joseph is in the hands of his brothers. They don't kill him, but they throw him in the cistern to die. One of the other brothers plans to come back and rescue him, but the rest are planning on leaving him in the cistern. Guys, this is Joseph's first prison. He's in a cistern. Well, what's a cistern? Well, I have a picture of it for you. But basically, it was dug out of the rock, and they used some cement and rocks, and they would build this thing out. And its purpose was actually to collect rainwater for drinking water. But when they would dry out, they would often use them like dungeons to hold prisoners. And so Joseph is down there in his first prison. Can you just imagine what's going through Joseph's mind? And they're going to leave me here to die. And he starts probably thinking, how am I going to die? Am I just going to starve? Is it going to rain and flood and I'm going to drown? Is an animal going to find me down here? You know what, guys? Sometimes you and I are sitting in our cistern and we're imagining all the terrible outcomes. We're in our prison. We're thinking, what if the money doesn't come through? What if I never get over this fear? What if this relationship never changes? What am I going to do? And we're sitting in that broken place, that prison And we're thinking, how can I have an up-to-date close relationship with Jesus right now? How can I stay close? Why would I stay close? I'm sitting in a prison. And yet here is Joseph. I just wonder what was going through his mind. Joseph's brothers, as they're sitting there, eventually see some merchants walking by. And they think, you know what? We shouldn't kill him. He is still our brother. And so we see in verse 28, it says this. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. 20 shekels of silver is two-thirds the price of a dead slave. In other words, if I killed your slave, I had to pay you 30 shekels of silver. So his brothers just sold him for two-thirds the price of a dead slave. What does that speak to Joseph about his value? Can you imagine where his mindset is? His brothers just sold him for less than the price of a dead slave. And this was Joseph's second prison. He's now in a caravan going to Egypt against his will as a slave. You know, I never really thought about this too much, but there's a good distance between Dothan, where Joseph was, and Egypt. I always kind of just thought, yeah, you know, he kind of just marched behind and probably got it, you know, there in a day or two. No, it was about 300 miles from Dothan to Egypt. This past week, Mike and Jess drove down to D.C. That's about 300 miles from here, about the same distance. They drove down to watch the Mets and the Nationals play baseball. Now, being a Mets fan is like being in a prison of your own. It's a whole other concept. Just saying that from experience because I love them so dearly. I'm a happy prisoner with the Mets, I guess. But they drove 300 miles to see them, and the game got rained out right so same distance i asked him how long did it take about five and a half hours so by car five and a half hour trip but joseph wasn't in a car in fact the people that bought him were probably sitting on some camels and some horses and some donkeys he's probably getting dragged behind it's probably about a two-week trip a two-week journey as a prisoner you ever been on a journey you didn't want to be on you ever felt captive stuck in a certain place, on a certain road, and you're thinking, this is not leading where I want to be. I feel like I'm in prison. 
Next part I'll summarize for you. Joseph's brothers took his robe. They slaughtered a goat. They dipped the robe in the blood, and they told the father that he'd been killed. Verse 35, so his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So Joseph is now in his third prison. I mean, it's not a literal jail, but he's a slave. This is prison number three. And so Potiphar worked for Pharaoh. Joseph was a slave to Potiphar. And so here he is in somewhat of a prison. And I'm just thinking, I mean, I'm not there. I don't know what Joseph's thinking, but if it were me, I can tell you this. I'd be thinking back to that dream I had. Remember that dream he had in the beginning of the story that his brothers would bow down to him, which would mean he'd be in some place of authority? Here he is, a slave. And my guess would be, at this point in his life, he's thinking, that's never going to happen. That dream God gave me, that thing God spoke to me, I can't ever see that coming to pass. Have you ever been there? Stuck in a prison. Thinking back to that thing you thought God put on your heart And now you can't ever imagine it'll be possible. That's where some of us find ourselves today, right? Well, Genesis 39 verse 2 says this. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Can we talk about the first five words? The Lord was with Joseph. Can I just tell you something today? God is with you in your prison. God is with you. Wherever you are, whatever your prison looks like, whatever it feels like, it might not seem like he's there, it might not feel like he's there, but God is with you in your prison. You are not alone, no matter what you're facing. He goes on. Verse 3, when his master saw that the Lord was with him, and remember, we talked about this last week, right? That people around us sometimes, as we stay close to Jesus in our prison, start to see, wow, something's going on here. The Lord is with that person. How come they can have joy in the middle of their prison? Remember, our prisons aren't aren't just for us. They're for the people around us, too, to be drawn closer to God. But when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. So things have started to go good for Joseph, right? He's still a slave, technically, but now the master is giving him responsibility and giving him authority. It almost seems like things are starting to go well, but... If you know the story, you know it's about to get bad again, right? I'll just sort of summarize it for you. Potiphar's wife. So Potiphar's the master, Joseph's the slave. Potiphar's wife has eyes for Joseph. Potiphar's wife thinks Joseph's all that in a bag of chips and starts to pursue Joseph. And Joseph, we know, the Bible tells us, was a good-looking guy. He could have been in our opening video, actually. And so here's Joseph. And this woman's pursuing him, and he's honoring God, and he's turning her down. He's saying, no, I'm not going to dishonor God or Potiphar by doing this. Eventually, she gets upset, and she figures out a way to get rid of Joseph. She tells Potiphar, her husband, that Joseph came on to her and tried to seduce her. And we pick up in verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Prison number four. Joseph is in a literal prison now but look what it says in the next part of the verse but while joseph was there in prison the lord was with him guys we we suffer in life we go through hardship we go through difficult things we have different prisons but i'm just telling you today the lord is with you in the midst of whatever it might be that you're going through it says in the next part 
he, God, showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the Lord, oh, I'm sorry, so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Guys, how do we stay close to God in the middle of the prison? Just give you a little hint. I think it has something to do with knowing that he's still with us in there. That even when it feels like he's not, even when it feels like everything's out of his control and it feels like there's not going to be any hope in that dream or that thing God spoke to us, now we can't ever imagine happening. Remembering that he is with us is so powerful. Now we're going to get to the verses that I heard 20 years ago. David Pleadings, preaching in chapel, talking about this aspect of Joseph's life I've never heard anybody else bring up. And so we're going to read some verses in Genesis chapter 40, verse 1. It says this, sometime later, so let's pause there for a second. Joseph's been in that prison for a while now. He's been in that cell for a while. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. So these two guys have a, a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in the master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Now you might miss what my friend David brought out years ago, but this is a powerful verse. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. What's so powerful about that verse? Here's what's powerful about it. Joseph is four prisons in. And he still believes in his God. He still knows God is the one who could interpret dreams. Joseph's sitting there going, man, God once gave me a dream. I don't know how that's ever going to happen anymore. I'm four prisons deep here. Seems like I'm never getting out of here. But I can tell you what, I can't interpret your dream, but God can. And so in the middle of this prison, what you find is Joseph with an up-to-date relationship with God. In the middle of this jail, he will not turn his back on God. And this is where we so often struggle, right? I've struggled here. This is where I'm tempted to turn my back on God. Sometimes right in the middle of that jail cell, it seems all hope is lost. How do we keep that up-to-date relationship with God? Well, I think we have to, like Joseph, we have to know the Lord is with us. And here's what we have to do. And this is really important, okay? We have to begin, when you're in the prison cell, to look for ways you know God's with you. And here's the tricky part. We only seem to want to know God's with us by having him open our prison door and let us out. And it's almost like if he doesn't do that, then he's not with us. That's what it feels like sometimes. But what we have to do is fight through that and say, okay, even if this prison door stays closed right now, here's how I know God's with me. This is a way I know he's with me. I can figure out this way and that way and the other way to know God is still with me in the midst of this prison cell. Sometimes it's looking to the past. It's looking at a past prison cell we were in and saying, man, God got me out of that one. I know he's with me in this one. Or maybe it's, you know what? My doors haven't flown off yet. I'm still in the middle of this financial struggle. But you know what? 
I just have peace. It's going to be okay. Guess what? That means you know God's with you. I can have joy through this process. Great. That means you know God's with you. Man, the relationship hasn't been healed yet. It's still kind of a mess. I'm still in this prison of this broken relationship. But you know what? I can see God come through in this way. I know he's with me because of all these different reasons. And I just want to remind you, and I said last week, I'll probably say this every part of this series, that sometimes when we don't know why we're going through this and why we're in the prison, that's really difficult. But I can tell you this, God is always up to something in your prison cell. There's always purpose in your prison. There is a why. You might not know it yet, but there is a why. And Joseph didn't know the why. He didn't know why he was in that prison. He didn't know all that God would do. A lot of us know the end of the story, which we're going to talk about next week. But Joseph didn't know that. He was sitting in the middle of that cell, had every reason to turn his back on God, but kept saying, no, no, I know he's with me. The Lord's with me. And though my prison cell is shut, I can't interpret your dream, but God, God can. God can handle that. And I'm close enough to him to be able to hear his voice in the midst of this cell. And so how do you and I Stay close to God. How do we have an updated relationship with God in the middle of prison so we have to know he's with us, which mean, means we have to be asking him, God, show me you're with me. Show me those ways that I can know that you're still walking with me even through this. But why did Joseph stay close to, to God in prison? Like, why did he do it? He did do it. He knew the Lord was with him. But why did he hang so tight to God in the middle of that prison cell? I think he knew something. And it's something you and I need to know, and it's this. We need to be close to God in that prison cell more than anywhere else, right? We need God more in the prison cell than we need him anywhere else, right? This is what's funny. is so often when we're in the middle of that prison, we push God away, and when we do that, we push away our greatest ally, our greatest resource in the middle of that prison, right? If I sent out a, a little survey here and said, okay, guys, I want you to Tell me the answers to these questions from a theological standpoint. Don't worry about your heart right now. Don't worry about your current situation or the prison you might feel you're in. Just from a theological standpoint, I want you to fill out this survey. And the first question said, who is the source of peace? Most of us in the room would write God. Who is the source of joy? Most of us would write God. Who hears your prayers? Most of us would say God, right? So in the middle of my prison, when I push God away, I'm pushing peace away. I'm pushing joy away. I'm pushing the God who hears my prayers away. Why stay close to God? Because I need him more than ever when I'm in the middle of the prison. And Joseph, I think, knew that. I think he understood that God was his greatest ally in the middle of that prison. Now, here's a thought. Joseph got burned by a dream, didn't he, when he was younger? Right? God gives him a dream. Brothers are going to bow down to you. Joseph didn't handle it the right way. He kind of bragged about it, made his brothers jealous about it. But he kind of got burned by that whole dream thing with God, didn't he? He's in prison now, basically because of the dream. His brothers sold him because they hated him, largely because of the dream. But isn't it interesting that Joseph's heart is still soft toward God and God using this whole dream thing in his life? Here's what I want to say to you today. Some of you guys felt like you got burned by something in life. And you have ever since closed your heart to that thing. And I really feel like today I'm supposed to tell you, Let God use that thing in your life again. I'll give you an example. Some of you got burned by church once. You were a kid, you were a teenager, you were a young adult. Something happened in church. You got burned. You haven't been back since. Maybe today's the first day you've been back. Or maybe you just thought this is all a waste of time. Or maybe you once prayed and you thought, God, you're going to come through. You're going to open that prison cell and that prison cell stayed shut. And you thought you got burned by God. 
and you've kind of pushed him away. Just like Joseph was still willing to let God use that, that gift of using these dreams in his life, I really feel like God is calling some of you back to himself today to say, okay, maybe I got burned back in the day, maybe I felt burned back in the day, but I'm going to trust that God can use church again in my life. I'm going to trust that God can use prayer again in my life. Don't push him away because of maybe a prison that you've been in in the past. And so I'm going to kind of pause here, a little to be continued on Joseph's story. And I think it's an appropriate place because I love the fact that Joseph's still stuck in his prison right now in our story. Next week, we're going to wrap this all up, dive deep into the next week and find great encouragement on some things. But today, we see Joseph able to interpret these dreams because he's close enough to the God who interprets dreams. Up-to-date relationship in this prison cell, and Joseph's door is still shut. And yet his relationship with God is stronger. How is this possible? Well, here's what I hope you're seeing today. The Lord is with you in the prison, and you need him there more than ever. That's the truth. That's the reality of what we see in Joseph's life today. He is with you. God is with you in that confinement. And you need him more than ever. Don't push him away. So what do we do with this? Well, we got to search for the ways we can see the Lord is with us. Maybe you can't figure out why you're in the prison, but if you know the Lord is with you, it's a whole different ballgame. And so will you begin to seek God? And God, why, why I'm in here? I don't know. But, but God, show me you are with me. Show me. Remind me of how you've gotten me out of prisons in the past. Show me how you're in this current prison with me today. And because we need him more than ever in the prison, we got to keep seeking him in the prison. we got to pray in the prison. I don't know about you, i get got an attitude with God sometimes. And God's gracious not just zap me, but you look in the Psalms and you see David super real with God. God, how long? Why? What's going on? When are you going to answer? When are you going to show up? And so sometimes we can approach God with a bit of an attitude too, and God's very gracious. He's patient with us, right? But I can tell you, I have that attitude. And man, when I pray and I go out on my little prayer walk and I begin to seek God, my heart is transformed. And I come back a different person. I could be in the same prison still, same situation in my life, but I'm a different person because now the one that brings peace and joy and hears my prayers is my ally again. We got to pray in the prison. We got to be in God's word in the prison. You know why? Because when you're reading through the Bible and you're in the prison cell, you're reading stories about guys like Joseph. I don't know about you, this incredibly challenges me. I didn't forget this from 20 years ago, that you can have an up-to-date relationship with God in the middle of the prison. And so when we're in his word, we're going to be challenged and encouraged and get perspective on maybe things that are going on in our current prison. We've got to keep praising in the prison. That's what we talked about all last week. We've got to continue to keep our eyes on God's goodness. And he invites us to our, our greatest joy as we praise him. And may, I'll just throw this one out there. I, I think this is a big deal. I really do. Maybe some people are more naturey than others. I guess I'm kind of naturey, but I think this is a big deal. I would encourage you. Sometimes when you are praying or when you're reading your Bible or when you're praising and you're still in a prison cell, be outside. Because for me, it gives me such perspective. You know, you walk outside and you see stars and you go, God's in control. It's okay. My wife Kelly, she was in a two and a half hour MRI back in February. And I drove to the beach while she was in there and just prayed. I remember walking up and down the boardwalk and looking out at the water going, if he has all this, he has me and my wife too. There's such perspective 
when you and I look out. I mean, creation is there to remind us God's with us. God's got this. He's in control. I mean, new flowers blooming are supposed to say, hey, God's still doing this today. He's still in the process of creating and working, and he is making every living cell continue to do what it's supposed to do day in and day out. And so just being near him, being in creation, I think is an important thing. But you know what? When you and I are able to say, okay, God's with me. I've seen he's with me. I don't know the why yet, but I know he's with me. I don't know why yet, but I know it's not wasted. I know there's purpose in the prison. And I'm going to keep him close because I need him here more than ever. You know what happens? We walk through life with our greatest ally. And in the days to come, and you know this is true if you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, in the days to come, you will look back and go, oh, that's why I was in there. Oh, that's what God was doing. Now I see it. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. But today, I just want to close by telling you this story of a guy named John Bunyan. He was a pastor in the 1600s, and he was preaching that you could only be saved through Jesus alone. He was going against a lot of the religion of that day. And John Bunyan was in prison for 12 years. All he had to do was say, I will stop talking about Jesus, and they would have let him out. But he refused. So he's in this prison, and he's thinking he may die there. He's unsure of what they're going to do to him. He talks about how being apart from his kids and his wife, he he said it like this. He said it was literally like his flesh being pulled from his bones. It was so painful to be without them. But I want to read some of what he wrote when he was in there. Check this out on the screens with me. I never had in all my life so great an insight into the word of God as now. Let's just pause there for a second. There's something about being in that season of trouble that makes God's word come alive. There are things God wants to say to us through his word when we're in the prison that we won't see when we're not in the prison. It's illuminated. It's, it's shining brightly because we need it so badly. Those scriptures that I saw nothing in before were made in this place and condition to shine upon me. Look at this. Jesus Christ also was never more real and apparent than now. Here I have seen and felt him Indeed. What does John Bunyan know? The Lord's with me. The Lord is with me in the prison. I never knew what it was for God to stand by me at all turns. And I think this is important for us because I think sometimes it's like, yeah, we can kind of coast through our week without God. Maybe we come to Sunday, we get a little you know, spiritual juice and we could live the next week, kind of coast. John Bunyan's saying, man, I need God at every turn in this prison cell. And at every offer of Satan to afflict me as I have found, since, found him since I came in here. This is, this is powerful. If you're in a prison of fear today, you're in a prison of anxiety today, listen to this. For look, if fears have presented themselves, so have supports and encouragements. Yes, when I have started up, I love that. When I've started up, I think that's John Bunyan's way of saying, when I was freaking out, when I've started up, even as if it were nothing by, but my own shadow. Some of us are sitting in a cistern and we're looking at our fears and we're looking at all of our concerns and our worries. And sometimes it's just our own shadow that scares us. Yet God, as being very tender to me, has not allowed me to be bothered, but would, with one scripture or another, strengthen me against everything. We've got to be in God's word in the prison cell. And then this, so powerful. In so much that I've often said, were it lawful, I could pray for greater trouble, for the greater comfort's sake. Now that's old language. What is he saying? He's saying, if it were reasonable, I would almost be tempted to pray for more trouble so that God could comfort me all the more. Because I feel him so close right now. 
I feel him so near. I, I almost wish my troubles could get greater because my closeness with Jesus is so great during my troubles. You know what all this is saying? Some of you guys might be thinking, man, John Bunyan was like a rock star Christian, man. I mean, I'm not that guy. You know what? It's just proof that in the prison, we can have an up-to-date relationship. And sometimes our relationship with God in the prison will actually be stronger than when we're out of the prison. And so if you're a follower of Jesus here today, I just wanted to remind you, the Lord is with you in the prison. And you need him there more than ever. And so look for the evidences of his presence and seek him. Pray in the prison. Be in his word in the prison. Praise in the prison. And you'll have your greatest ally. And you'll look back one day and say, oh, this was why. And you know what might be even weird to think about? There may even be a day you thank him for the current prison you're in now because of the things that he'll accomplish. If you're not a follower of Jesus, the greatest prison God ever broke us out of was the prison of our sin and our guilt and our shame. Jesus died on the cross, rose back from the dead. If you struggle to believe that, we'd love to talk with you about it. I struggled for about five years to believe that. And man, it was a dark time in my life. Went through doubt and depression. But eventually, just through looking at history and looking at changed lives and seeing my own lives change, and just like the lights just did. Um, I, thank you, Kate. That was really good. Right on cue. We worked on that. Um, and just, I saw, man, that, man, there was such evidence that Jesus can be trusted. But if you struggle to believe that, we're here for you to talk through that. But if today you're going, man, I just, I want to know more about a relationship with this Jesus, then I'd love for you to put your trust in him today, and I'll lead you in a little prayer in just a minute if you'd like to. But today, I hope you're encouraged to know the Lord is with you in the prison, and you need him there more than ever. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are with us in our prison cells. We thank you so much, God, that as we wrestle with all kinds of different struggles here today, that you, God, are saying, trust me, I'm with you, I'm good, I'm your ally. I I thank you, God, you're wanting us to draw near as, as opposed to turn our back or push you away. So would you help us? If you're a follower of Jesus, would you just pray for a minute? Would you, would you ask him the question, God, would you show me that you are with me in my prison? And would you ask, God, would you help me to seek you even while I'm still in my prison? And I just want to remind you, well, we are a church that believes God opens prison doors. He heals, he provides, he does miracles, absolutely. But sometimes we're, we're in that place for a time, for a reason. And I just want you to be encouraged that he's with you. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him today, you can just pray something quietly like this. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me in my place. Thank you for rising back from the dead. God, show me how real you are. Show me you're with me, whether I'm having a good day or I'm in the middle of a prison cell. Thank you for this gift of salvation. 